Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. And on this special edition, we're going to biosensors for marine pathogens and poisons. But first up, here's the news. Lying about sleep. Placebos aren't just to make sugar pills as potent as active medicines, you can also use the placebo effect to get the benefits of sleep without actually having enough of the real thing. In a study called Placebo Sleep Affects Cognitive Functioning, published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, Learning, Memory and Cognition, researchers gave volunteers a suggestion about the connection between a good night's sleep and improved thinking. They were told 25% of healthy sleep is rapid eye movement REM sleep, and that this helps the brain the most. They were wired with sensors while they slept. One group, when they woke, was told they had 16.2% REM sleep, while the other group was told they had 28.7% REM sleep. Worse than normal and better than normal. Naturally, the psychologists lied to both sets of volunteers. The volunteers took the Paste Auditory Serial Addition Test, which gets them to add some numbers together. People allowed to judge for themselves how well they slept showed no correlation between their sleep quality and their test scores. People who were told they slept badly scored worse than the people told that they slept really, really well. In a verbal fluency test, while people who were told they failed at sleep did badly, those who were told they slept better than normal showed superior performance in the test. Simply thinking you got better sleep makes your brain work better. Psychologists lie about exercise as well. In a Harvard study titled Mindset Matters, Exercise and the Placebo Effect, published in the journal Psychological Science, a group of hotel housekeepers were told that their work was good exercise. The result was that they scored higher for indicators of good health. The result was that they scored higher for indicators of good health than the group who thought that they weren't getting exercise on the job. And finally, placebo and vision. Believing is seeing. Using mindfulness, mindfully, to improve visual acuity was published in the Journal of Psychological Sciences and showed that people told that pilots had excellent vision demonstrated better vision when they acted like pilots in a flight simulator. People told athletes have good vision were able to see better when performing athletic activities. Of course, these studies are ignoring the finding that people who are told that they're being given a placebo, when also told how powerful placebos are, get just as much benefit as people who are lied to. Perhaps you could use the placebo effect yourself for better thinking, health and vision without being deceived. Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Hamlet, Act 2, Scene 2. 
You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Biosensors are small, cheap, one-use devices that are important for both our health and the economy. You might buy one at your pharmacy to detect if you're pregnant, at the nightclub to detect if you have HIV, commercially to detect if your drinking water is contaminated, or if the area you want to fish contains the marine toxins that cause ciguatera or infectious bacteria. Biosensors can be portable, connect to your smartphone, or even connect to your toilet to monitor your health. Dr. Livia Laxka is a biotechnologist at the University of Technology, Sydney, who designs and builds biosensors as diagnostic tools to detect bacteria and toxins in the ocean. He studies the interactions of the pathogens with the environment and what triggers their danger to humans and other animals. I began by asking him how biosensors work. To build a biosensor, you need a transductor. In my case, uh, so it's uh, an, an electrode on which you immobilize recognition elements, as they're called. So in my case, they're mainly antibodies. So I find chemical pathway to immobilize these antibodies on my uh, electrode surface. After that, these the targeted uh, pathogens get caught onto the uh, electrode. And a secondary antibody is used, which is labeled with an electrochemical label. And that enables the detection electrochemically. And these are these human antibodies? Where do the antibodies come from? So it depends. These antibodies are uh, can be raised in uh, mouse, in um, goat, rabbit. Um, so yeah, mainly come from animal sources. How does the antibody connect to the electronics? So you've got um, endless pathways to do this. So um, obviously the important here is to, um, there's two very important things. First, you need your antibodies to be well orientated to capture as effectively as possible uh, your target. And um, you also need them to be compact and to block your surface to avoid any um, unspecific adsorption of any other element on your surface. Right. So you need them to only detect what you're looking for. Yes, exactly. And you don't want any parasitic uh, signal coming from uh, any other target that may uh, reach your electrode through uh, gaps that uh, have been left there. So the electronics picks up the electrical signals from the chemistry of the antibodies and then amplifies that to work out that it's the toxin that you're detecting. Yes, exactly. So that's exactly how it works, yeah. And what sort of diseases are you looking to detect? So since I'm here at UTS, I've been mainly focusing on uh, Vibrio bacteria. So Vibrio species, one of the most known is cholera. Um, So cholera is a very uh, classic bacteria within uh, marine systems, estuaries and coastal mainly. And, but they're not necessarily toxic. So that's when the second part of my work comes, um, which is to de- determine when this toxicity and how it's triggered. 
So we believe there are interaction between, uh, interactions between microalgae and bacteria that trigger this, this toxicity, but also environmental factors such as salinity or uh, temperature. And in this case, that's when uh, the whole climate change factor comes into place. And um, our lab, so C3, is all about understanding the effects of climate change on marine life. And this is one aspect of it. Is it a tough environment for the electronics being in contact in the, with the ocean? Yes, it is. And um, that's why at this stage, uh, mainly sample and then use these samples onto my electrodes. I'm still not at the stage where the electronics can be plunged into marine samples. Uh, but we're getting there. And the, the um, electrodes I'm using are screen-printed electrodes. So fairly cheap and simple and um, I don't get too much falling onto them hence I think uh, they could be used at, in, a, in a very close future uh, for, for this purpose. So how would these be used in the field? Would people go out and get samples and bring them back to the lab and put them on the sensors or, or would they be taking sensors out with them? So the finality is to be able to have uh, remote sensing so especially in places where uh, we don't have access easily. We could also imagine water reservoirs in the middle of the desert uh, where we would have these sensors and have a, uh, an online monitoring of eventual pathogenic bacteria that would occur in these reservoirs. So that's what my research is driven towards. That's my goal, to have these remote, cheap uh, sensing systems. So can these sensors be reused after they've been in contact with the bacteria or the toxin? Are they one use only or, or can they continually be reused? So they are um, chemistries uh, through which you can generate, regenerate the surface. So get rid of uh, captured targets and reuse the sensor. However, um, I'd, that's not really my goal at this stage and because and that's why I'm using very cheap screen-printed electrodes, so they can be uh, disposal. Um, because if you have a one or two dollar uh, measurement and just change the sensor each time, I think it the fact that you regenerate sensor, you'll never get a detection that is as effective as the first one. So I'm not sure it's uh, commercially uh, worth it to regenerate the sensor. I'd better go um, towards a sensor that is cheap and disposable, like it's done. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at the commercially available sensors, such as the pregnancy test sensors or the glucose uh, sensors, they're all disposable. Because when you do this research, you always have to think about the industrial application and the market behind it. Well, I'd say in the future, I'd like to develop more sensors um, towards uh, toxins that could be applied for uh, the seafood industry because we have a big um, part of our lab is working on marine toxins, so produced by um, microalgae. And these have are a huge interest for uh, the oyster industry and all the seafood industry in Australia. And we don't have at this stage cheap sensors that could be used um, whether by the industries or by the end users. And I think there's a huge potential here to develop uh, new biosensors 
for it. I'd read, oh, back in 2005, that George Western Foods was using a Hawaiian test for ciguatoxin um, on the fish that they use to make fish meal that goes into omega-3 enhanced foods. Is that still being used? or Because I know that it was a little bit controversial, the University of Hawaii test. To my knowledge, uh, this test uh, hasn't passed the market test, let's say. It, it hasn't been re- reproducible enough and sensitive enough. And a lot of people around the world are working towards uh, new tests that would be um, much better than this one. Obviously, that's the only biosensor type test for ciguatera that exists nowadays. The other tests are very expensive and you know, using extremely expensive equipment. So it's a bit of a, a race towards getting a, a most effective test because obviously a big part of the world, especially the uh, tropical parts, need this kind of test. It would change the life of a lot of people. So my answer to that is it's the only biosensor type test nowadays, but it's not effective enough. So there's a lot of improvement uh, to do uh, regarding this. I asked Olivia about his part in the Indigo 5 open source citizen science project to map the distribution of marine poisons all around the world. So this is led by Dr. Federico Laro from UNSW and, and the idea is that it would be interesting to build very cheap simple equipment that could be taken on board by any citizen who's uh, sailing around the world and would be interesting in contributing to science. So we, we're trying to develop cheap and simple equipment to do water filtering, storage of samples, uh, eventually some analysis, um, DNA, PCR type analysis, that the people could then send the result by internet to researchers. Because when you think about it and you look at all the sailing boats that at a T moment are are going around the world, it's covering a huge amount of the oceans, whereas um, research voyage are quite dispersed and don't cover all this this area. So um, it would be great. And and we know that a lot of people would be willing to, to help. Uh, with our science so that's the whole idea behind it so it is starting so there's a project called uh, Indigo 5 led by uh, Federico Laro and uh, they've been they've started to cruise around the uh, Indian Ocean doing uh, sampling and getting very interesting results already and using equipment that uh, maybe not now but in very near future could be taken on board by any citizen. That's really impressive. So if people wanted to sign up to say they're interested for when it's ready, that they want to participate, is there somewhere they can go online to make contact? So I think the uh, Indigo 5 uh, blog is online. So if people want to have a look at that, they would learn a lot on uh, what the whole idea is and what's the research behind it. There's uh, information available. So Indigo 5. So you're looking into sensors for HIV. So that's back in 2008. Um, so I developed a sensor. We developed a sensor within the uh, Microelectronic Institute of Barcelona in order to detect uh, HIV. 
So the whole idea behind this was to develop a sensor that would be cheap, that would give you a quick answer, that could be used in Africa, in villages, for example, where uh, nowadays what's done is um, we take blood samples, they're sent back to occidental countries, and you get the results three months later, but you don't really know anymore who's whose samples it was. So we did manage to develop a sensor to detect HIV in five minutes. So this was patented in 2008 and published. The funny thing is that so it, 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 it got in a lot of newspapers in Spain, but we got a contact from a commercial entity who wanted to use them um, in nightclubs. Huh. So obviously we said no for ethical reasons. As you can imagine, it's hard to guarantee 100% accuracy and HIV is not the only uh, disease that would be of a concern in this context. This was dropped and a few years later we actually uh, saw that it had been done in in nightclubs. Anyway, this is an example uh, of how careful you have to be with, uh, with these sensors and how much you have to think about the market before you develop them. So how were they being used in nightclubs? Were they used in the bathrooms or something? Were they? Yeah, exactly. As uh, just next to the condom machine, I suppose. <laughs> so there are HIV. Are these these are on the market now? I they are now. They are most um, evoluted uh, systems, uh, biosensors, and um, thing is that. They've got more future in nightclubs than to save African villages. It's uh, it's it's the low of the market, I guess. But couldn't an aid agency raise the money to buy them and send them to Africa and have them used there anyway? Yeah, no, I suppose uh, that could be done. That could be exist. done. It's uh, it's easier to say than to. Do. I think actually, uh, I think it's it's being done. Uh, I'm not sure if they are at the stage where um, they can 100% assure that you know it's accurate and and it's uh, used in a routine way. But uh, I think we'll 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 be getting there, and that's the whole idea behind biosensors. You know? it's something that would help people and help avoid disease spreading, like uh, like HIV in this case. If you could say in five minutes, someone is tell someone in five minutes that he is contaminated in this region of the world where there is no access to uh, to high-level uh, medical facilities, um, then I think that would help a lot. And what about things like flu, um, other 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 illnesses, the non-marine illnesses that would uh, these biosensors would be suited to giving quick answers? Yeah, no, flu, anything you can think about could be... Uh, I think developed in the next 10 or 20 years. I think even more than that, um, the main concern and what kills most people in the world is the uh, quality of water. So if you get sensors that detect salmonella or other type of uh, pathogens in water, or the parasites, that would help a lot the humanity. And also, um, yeah, more and more people are working on DNA-based sensors, so not using antibodies as I described earlier, but using uh, DNA and uh, detecting um, um, targeted DNA onto these electrodes. 
Um, that has a huge potential for the future. There's a lot of work published on that. And if people are interested, they'll just uh, Google DNA biosensors and they'll see there's a lot of work uh, in this field. As a matter of fact, in, um, in May in Melbourne, there's the um, biosensors conference uh, taking place. So it's a every two-year conference that uh, gathers all the um, world specialists in the biosensor field. And um, if people are interested, they can, um, they can go and see um, what the program is and, um, and that will give them an idea of all the new trends uh, that is um, um, rising in this field. And a DNA-based sensor, um, just, just very quickly for the listeners, so there's no antibodies. Well, is it DNA attached to the electronics, or is it the electronics detecting something about the DNA? There's, well, there's different format, but I'll say um, basically uh, DNA is a double strand, st- has a double strand uh, structure, but, and both strands are complementary. So if you're able to mobilize one of these strands, then you may be able to detect the second one in your sample. So basically you have a sample with DNA that you can denature and then capture this strand by hybridization onto your electrode. Hmm. And using whether uh, color probes or electrochemical uh, labels, then detect this hybridization onto your electrode and be able to say that this DNA was present in your sample. So this bacteria or this virus or is present in your sample. I think you know, biosensors are, uh, they've been studied for um, a few, many years now, but uh, they're still not there in the term, but they're not used um, so widely but um, I think in, in the next decade, we'll start to, to see biosensors popping up in your own bathroom. And, um, and it's definitely a research that's interesting a lot of people and that's going to lead to, uh, to people being able to do their own science. So, Olivia Lasker, thank you very much. No worries. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Olivia Lasker from the Climate Change Cluster at the University of Technology, Sydney, talking about biosensors to detect HIV, marine bacteria and marine poisons. You can find out more about the Indigo 5 Citizen Science Project at www.indigov.unsw.edu.au. And next up, here's Brad Ray with his Cognitive Bias song. You can find the rest on the YouTube clip on diffusionradio.com. I'll only listen to what I agree with. 
confirmation bias You never mind if you are this I'm biased because I take credit for success But no blame for failure Self-serving bias My success and your failure I'm biased when I remember things The way I would have expected them to be Expectancy bias False memories are shaped by these I'm biased because I think my opinion now Was my opinion then Self-consistency bias But you felt different way back when Oh, bias Don't let bias in your mind Bias, don't try this It'll influence your thinking And memories don't mess with these You're guilty of distorted thinking Cognitive bias Man becomes blinded Decisions and problems You've been forced to solve them wrong And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Diffusion was checked for mistakes by Charles Willock. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send us an email so we know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. And please like the Diffusion Science Radio Facebook page and leave a comment. You can find me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com I conducted, recorded and broadcast 58 interviews in 2013. Diffusion needs funding. The Bank of Ian doesn't have an income stream. Please contact me at science at diffusionradio.com if you'd like to sponsor the show. Or suggest a business model or help with applying for grants. Or... Look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. And to take us out from the oil crisis of 1973, the Exxon Singers with Efficiency. And business takes it on the chin Who can be efficient and still regulate? Reasonable government guidelines Now that's okay We don't mind if the government has its fair say But too much control now that